World Class, Jim Crockett Promotions, Big Time Wrestling, Mid-South, $2 Late Fee Presents, Territory Marks, with Paul London and Zach Schaefer. The show that celebrates matches from the glory days of professional wrestling. From one man who lives it, and another man who loves it. Territory <laughs> Marks. Welcome to Territory Marks, where we talk about our favorite episodes of Gummy Bears. Oh! Ha ha ha! Hot boys! Hot boys! <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul, it is Halloween. It's the scariest time of the year when maniacs are praised and. Uh, it's Territory Marks. Is there anything spookier than the various territories that surround us, all offering various forms of heels, faces, and soon-to-be in-betweens? Is there anything spookier than seeing grown men in their skivvies doing combative things with each other inside of a squared circle? (laughs) Is there anything spookier than the fans, if you take a look at them, but they didn't realize that back then, and the camera stayed on the action. I know. Right? Either which way, spookiness is here. We are on the the eve, the soon to be eve of All Hallows Eve. Yes, this episode's dropping a couple days before Halloween, and if you want to get in the mood, yeah, crank it up. Uh, get ready to. Get your bones chilled uh, or chill your bones or, whoa, that sounds really sus, as the kids say. I like that. Yeah. No, that's a Dakotaism. <laughs> uh, but we are here to talk about eh, creepy type matches for the month of October. Last month, we obviously paid tribute to the legend himself, Terry Funk, uh, with a beautiful rundown of his 89 run with rick flair if you didn't check that out go check it out it coincided with crossover with podcasting after dark so we had Corey joining us and he'll be back next year of course uh but it's paul and i back in the saddle back in the saddle again back in the saddle what, what's your earliest memory of like kind of creepy matches in wrestling wow um probably the first time i saw cable access wrestling in austin okay because it was just so bad. And uh, you had like a guy with like a bullwhip. And he looked like he was like he belonged in a weird biker bar. And he had chaps. And there was another guy holding like balloons. Like it was all character stuff. Like because these guys were not athletic at yeah. all. So it was super character stuff. Um, but there wasn't anyone. I, I was making a bad joke. It was just that the action <laughs> was so scary bad. Well, yeah, I was going to say it's scary in a bad way. Not necessarily. It was hilarious. I mean, I, I don't know. I think in wrestling, um, you know, because I kind of came into the game late when I was about 11 or 12. And Paul's 20 years younger than I am. He's a little child. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I grew up watching Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, I like, uh, I, I like, I like, uh, I like them all. <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. I think the first, 
Well, see, I went to the arena in Austin when like Undertaker was still new. Okay. So I remember sitting in the stands and uh, they did the funeral parlor and the smoke tasted like burnt marshmallows. That's not a bad smell, um, actually. Like, yeah, from the, from the smoke machine. Well, I, I knew it was something chemical I probably shouldn't like, be tasting. Oh, God, this smells so um, good. Why am I feel high right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, as silly as it is, you know, I think I was probably Undertaker debuted in 91 or 2, somewhere yeah, in there. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, and um, so, you know, I was still 11, 12, yeah. whatever. That was a very – that was a serious kind of spooky because it was just the most convincing. Whereas, like, other attempts at being spooky, it was either, like, a ruse or a right. trap or, like, something silly – or goofy, but this was the first actual guy that I saw that I believed this is real. This is who he really is when he's outside the ring. This Same. is like this is legit. Yeah, you know. So uh, timeline notwithstanding, I'd have to, I'd have to, as a fan, I'd have to give it to the Undertaker. Um, and I was a massive Undertaker fan. Um, I was so, I was just, I was, I was elated when he defeated Hulk Hogan at Tuesday night in Texas or no, it was at survivor series. Yes. And then they gave the belt back to Hogan like two nights later, Tuesday night. And they just made up a pay-per-view called Tuesday night in Texas and, and turned and gave the belt back. But, um, but it was interesting because I I remember flair got involved in that match. He put a, uh, a chair in the ring from the apron. Right. And Undertaker did a tombstone to Hogan and beat him. And uh, and it's very fitting because, uh, as we will see later on, Ric Flair wasn't the only nature boy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you did the cliff notes and jumped ahead, you know that Buddy Landau will be coming up in the second half of our show today. I remember seeing, unfortunately, seeing Undertaker, but seeing him as mean Mark Callis in NWA slash WCW with the skyscrapers and I'm like, I know that dude. And so it probably didn't hook me in as much if, unless if I'd seen him just as the undertaker, it might've had more of a impact on me. Um, sure. My first, uh, my first kind of creepy type atmosphere with wrestling probably was Norman, the lunatic. I think up until that point was the only kind of creepy guy, but I will say uh, early stages of cactus Jack Manson, terrified me because okay charles manson terrified me and mick foley looked just like him sure to me and so when i would see him cut promos or just do weird stuff in the ring that creeped me out so i'd say early cactus jack nwa you know wcw era. oh that's so great that was my that's my great. touch with it but we're not covering any of those guys today <laughs> <laughs> no no we are not we are covering uh well i let's do it I, let's just get into my match right now my choice today is dusty Rhodes versus purple haze from may of 84 championship wrestling from florida uh championship wrestling i don't think from florida we haven't covered it yet on the territories and it's a big territory to cover it was started and created by eddie graham and Hiro Matsuda and Duke, I'm saying his name, I'm going to bastardize his name, Keomuka. That's good. Um, and, but it was founded by Cowboy Clarence P. Latrell. And, I mean, 
championship wrestling from Florida was a territory that was around in the late forties, early fifties. And it ran until the mid eighties, uh, 1987 huge lineage of wrestlers came out of that territory, uh, great angles, some that were repeated because they were so good. Midnight Rider for one. Um, <laughs> and Dusty Rhodes owned that territory. Like, not not literally, but he was he was the man. He was the nameplate of Top, top Guy, guy when, yeah. uh, when this all went down in the early 80s, 84. He's the man. And, you know, you all listening to this know who Dusty Rhodes is. But for those that don't, He was the guy that did not fit the Johnny Bravo suit. He did not look the part. He did not look like your typical hunky boy wrestler. And he he became iconic for the fact that he didn't fit the mold. And he appealed to all the people in life that don't fit the mold, whether it's physically, uh, mentally, whatever. If you feel like you don't fit into what the typical person is supposed to be like, Dusty Rhodes was your man, I think. He was just, you know, I know they call him the common man's yeah. wrestler, but I would say he reached out to, I think, everybody that has ever felt like that one, the you know, the person who was picked on or whatever. Like, I don't know. I looked at Dusty Rhodes. I'm like, that's the dude. I want to be that guy, you know, because he achieved his dream. Yeah, no, he, 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 uh, he laid the groundwork down for people like Lizzo, and all these uh, body positive I think so, man. Uh, icons, you know. I, I I'm not going to disagree so. with you on that one. Uh, I think he really did. Yeah. I think I think in the pantheon of plus size people, he needs to be put up there as someone that's iconic. I agree. Because um, what he could do in the ring and and do on the mic was one of a kind. Absolutely. And later on, with the black and yellow polka dots, I'm just saying, like later on, like. I mean, there was, it was just, you know, every time I go to the airport and I see the parking spot bus, I think that's the roads because <laughs> of the, you know, the yellow and black and the polka dots. And so, yeah, I mean, he was uh, he was way more than just a wrestler and a great wrestler at that, you know, so he was he was absolutely the voice of the people. Totally. And when he sported those polka dots and he came into the WWF, I uh, was one of the many who was like, wait, what? <laughs> We're taking this guy who's a total badass or we're making him into a kind of a goof, but he got over and because over. he's a freaking genius. But in this context, he's uh, had a rivalry going on with Kevin Sullivan. Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> uh, Kevin, Sullivan, who, Kevin Sullivan, who had this Prince of Darkness gimmick. The 80s were a hotbed for satanic panic. And everybody was afraid that if you listened to Ozzy Osbourne, you were going to worship the devil. If you played Dungeons and Dragons, you were going to go into the seven gates of hell. If you carved a pentagram on your belly. Oh, wait, maybe you shouldn't do that. When was Richard Ramirez? When was the Night Stalker? I feel like it was was in the mid 80s. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Talking about Charles Manson earlier, his follower, like he carved an X on his forehead uh, for some reason, I always thought it was a pentagram and, but you know, the, <laughs> and you know, I think the whole idea of like, Ooh, if, if you, if you put eyeliner on, you're a devil worshiper and all this stuff, it was a hot time to do that. And Kevin Sullivan was the perfect person to do that. He owned that gimmick. He carved an X on his chest hair <laughs> was amazing. Yes. And, you know, he, Kevin Sullivan went on obviously to NWA to, uh, manage the varsity club 
and then the Dungeons in the Darkness, all that stuff. But as a varsity club leader, he was amazing. Yeah, well, I thought he was a great uh, heel member and leader of um, of the dungeon as well. It was was it the Dungeon of Doom? Dungeon, dungeon of Doom, of yeah, Dungeon of Doom. Yeah. I think it was the Dungeon of Doom. Yeah, but that whole stuff later on with uh, I think King Iakea. Yes. And they're in the cave and Hogan and the testing and like the water's not hot and like all this. It's just, it, it's, it's insane, right? It's insane. Um, yeah, but you're right. I never thought of it so much as there being kind of like a, a satanic panic, as you call it, um, throughout the eighties. But, you know, when you look back on it, especially, uh, with the rise of hair metal, um, early on, like I, I'm just, I'm, I'm picturing Motley Cruz shout at the devil. Right. But is it, is it, and was it theater of pain? And like, and you know, so they, they had a lot of pentagrams and shout you know, at the devil had uh, the pentagram logo. Over That's what it, it was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they definitely had the guy liner. Um, <laughs> they did. So that's the mark of the beast right there. I believe it the is. Eyeliner. So be, beware all you want to be goths <laughs> out there. What's your, what you're showing. Oh, I'm a satanic worshiper. <laughs> okay. Sure. Why why the name Purple Haze, you think? Where did that come from? Because wouldn't that be confused with more of a stoner? I don't know, man. Kind of a thing, you think? I don't know. So, yeah. So, Kevin Sullivan formed this faction, the Army of Darkness. No relation to the Bruce Campbell movie. Um, but maybe it was. Maybe, uh, what's his face? Well, uh, Army of Darkness came out later, after. right? Sam Raimi, maybe it was a big Kevin Sullivan fan. I really like wrestling, and um, I think we should call it Army of Darkness based on my love of <laughs> And that's not what Sam Raimi talks like, but anyways. Um, but anyway, I thought that was Bruce Campbell. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, no, so so Kevin Sullivan formed this faction. Uh, later on, he would have members like Woman, and, uh, you know, at one point, he had uh, Luna Vachon in there, but the early beginnings of Army of Darkness was Molokai, who wore a hockey mask. And Mark Lewin, a.k.a. Purple Haze. Now, Mark Lewin had been around for a really long time. He was a babyface wrestler. Uh, he looked he didn't have a he looked like a builder wrestler, like a very generic looking wrestler. He looked like <laughs> Randy Orton in the beginning stages of his career. Um, you know, it's just like very generic. And and there's nothing wrong with that. But he had this gimmick of being like this roll eye back before The Undertaker. Um, and he wore a purple cloak and they called him Purple Haze. There's early vignettes online you can check out where he's kind of being born, created, and it's creepy, it's cool, but yeah, there's nothing about him that gives him this air of mystique, necessarily. It's all about Kevin Sullivan selling him, right? Okay. In this day and age, if they if Purple Haze was a character now, he would he would look a lot more defined i think as a villain he'd be a stoner if yeah. it was and i know he'd be coming out he'd be like papa hayes i'll in my brain and he would be like people would be like yeah man they didn't capitalize on that theme song either unfortunately um the the army of darkness would come out to the tune of the twilight zone theme song yes yes which is a nice uh jarring kind of sound device as you're starting this segment right? Yeah. you're starting the Madison you're kind of like Twilight what wait what am I what, what's going on <laughs> exactly where am I exactly because at this point uh Dusty Dusty would go on to feud with Kevin for well over a year and they had uh at one point Kevin Sullivan's wearing a mask and this is when Dusty created the Midnight Rider gimmick and they had a mask versus yeah. mask match in a cage uh that 
may or may not come up. Maybe it'll come up next year. But this match was the main event uh, from Florida Championships television show. And we put the full hour-long episode in the show notes. You have to watch this from beginning to end. Gordon Soley was typically the commentator for this throughout. Uh, but filling in for Gordon this week was Coach John Heath, and who was a professional wrestler at one point, and Buddy Colt who was a professional wrestler at one point. Um, are you familiar with either of those two guys? No, but if your name is Buddy Colt and you're not a professional wrestler, like, what are you? But uh, this episode w- was interesting because, and I don't know if they did this on every Florida Championship Wrestling episode, but they had, like, a, a female commentator who would do these vignettes of, like, how great it is to live in Miami or how great Florida is and, like, do these travel things. Oh. It's very interesting. Really? <laughs> yeah. But this was the just a couple days after Kerry Von Erich won the title from Ric Flair. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so that they, we had covered earlier. They were selling up Kerry Von Erich. You know, what a body. What a great wrestler. And he's going to be coming to the program soon. And, you know, what a great representation of the NWA. And, well, we know the story about that. Go back to uh, a couple episodes ago where Paul brought that match up. Ric Flair versus Kerry Von Erich. But... Uh, this match was the main event, and referee Bill Alfonso, a.k.a. Yes. Bill Alfonso from ECW, I think. Uh, most people I love Fonzie. One of the sweetest human beings you'll ever meet. Really? Like, I just saw him less than a month ago in Cleveland, and he's just one of the most loving, genuine, loyal guys you'll ever meet. And you'll never hear a bad word said about Bill Alfonso. Oh, that's great. So when hear. I saw this match, yeah, and I they were like, oh, Bill Alfonso. I was like, oh, my God, that is Fonzie. And you're right. I believe he did start in Florida. And this could be the first start of his career. I'm not sure. He did. I, it, it might be earlier. I just remember him going over. It was either a Flair Steamboat contract signing in 88, uh, or maybe it was something later on. But I remember seeing the board of directors, quote unquote, in this room with this contract signing. And I look around, <laughs> and I'm like, that's that's Bill Alfonso with like a big yeah. head of hair. So yeah, he must've got his start with Florida championship. Well, we remember him as a referee in WWF as well. Early WWF. You can see him uh, in the early nineties uh, right. as a referee for WWF to a very prominent, well-used referee there. So um, yeah, he's great. He's, he's great. So what good. an exciting thing to watch too. You know, anytime you can recognize the referee, it's a good thing. Paul messaged me. He's like, that's Bill Alfonso in the ring. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, keep watching this match because it's going to get really weird. A couple side notes before we get into the match itself. Blackjack Mulligan was at ringside and uh, occasionally on commentary. And it's interesting to see Blackjack Mulligan and his family throughout this. Uh, they were a big staple of Florida Championship. He and his son, Mike Rotunda, or sorry, Barry Windham, and his son-in-law, Mike Rotunda, which is a fun fact for those that don't know. And obviously, you know, their lineage has gone on. Uh, with Bray Wyatt, rest in peace, and uh, Bo Dallas. But um, this match starts with Dusty already in the ring, waiting for the heel of Purple Haze. So you don't get entrance music of Dusty Rhodes, uh, and then you hear the eerie Twilight Zone music, and Purple Haze comes to the ring with Molokai and uh, Kevin Sullivan. The match that we've all been waiting for, and it's one fall, nine-minute time limit, 
in the far corner, two times world heavyweight wrestling champion, Dusty Rhodes. His opponent is the unknown Purple Hayes. He's accompanied to the ring by Kevin Sullivan. What I noticed from the onset of this match was that uh, it was, first of all, it was given a 10-minute time limit as the main event, and they don't say it's a no-DQ match. However, within the first 30 seconds of this match, the two wrestlers fall outside the ring, and Purple Haze hits Dusty with a chair, <laughs> busting him open. And I'm like, oh, that yeah. shouldn't that have been a DQ? Okay, but it wasn't. He smack. It's funny because he smacks. Does he smack Dusty first, or does he start whacking the chair up against the ring post to break it? I think. All right, or is it? Yeah, against the ring post first. Okay, yeah, and they were like, he's trying to break that chair and get something to to create a weapon or something. I was like, the chair is the weapon. <laughs> like, what he's trying to do? Give him a splinter or something? But uh, I, I will. Right. I will say. I will say it would have been. A lot more wonderful to have Gordon Soley on commentary uh, instead of, you know, Coach John Heath. No offense to him. It's just not the same vibe. Similar vibe with uh, Paul's match as well. The commentators were just a little milk toast, you know, a little generic, which is all good. Yeah. But the match goes back and forth. I think it's worth noting. You see the signature spots from Dusty throughout this with the, the twirling of the arms and the elbow. I'll get into the finale with the figure four in just a minute. But Purple Haze has these like kind of karate chops to the face. And then he does these like finger pokes to the face as well. Yes. I couldn't tell what that was. Yeah. He was like doing a finger poke on dusty roads. I didn't know if he had a gimmick or what. I think that was part of his gimmick. Um, within the first 30 seconds, dusty is already busted open and there's blood. Shocker. It's all strikes. It's all strikes from Purple Haze. It's all That's strikes. All That's all. Strikes. Yeah, and and the fact that this guy's had a career since the fifties is outstanding because wow, he he was able to do very minimal. I'm sure he's got other matches where he goes above and beyond, but this was a very by the numbers standard match um, to the point where literally, you know, there's like one rest hold to another. At one point, Purple Haze is, uh, you know, gets the upper hand on Dusty, and they battle outside the ring. And then they battle back in the ring, and Dusty immediately goes to apply the figure four leg lock. Um, yes. Molokai, who's ringside with Kevin Sullivan, gives Kevin Sullivan like some sort of box. Kevin gets in the ring, suddenly opens the box, and it's a dagger. Bill Alfonso calls for the ring bell. Purple Haze is disqualified now because there's interference from another wrestler is funny um and kevin sullivan goes to stab dusty with the dagger but blackjack mulligan gets in the ring as well to protect dusty gets in the way of dusty and kevin sullivan pushes him out of the way pushes him out of the way and kevin sullivan stabs blackjack mulligan in the chest uh-oh. Wait, wait. Uh-oh. Molokai just handed something to uh, Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan attempts to the figure four on him, and that's true. And laying the pat on my jack. And the referee, Bill Alfonso, is calling for a disqualification of Purple Hayes. What in the world did he do there? Kevin Sullivan pulled something out of that box, and it seemed like uh, he, he got... Right in the chest. Uh, I see the, the, there's a lot of blood coming from the chest of Blackjack Mulligan. 
It is shocking because <sighs> it sold so well. You can't, for a half a second, you really think that he penetrated him. Um, Dusty obviously covers Blackjack. Kevin gets out of the ring with Molokai and, and Purple Haze, and he immediately goes to the commentary booth, which is right next door, because this is a uh, in-studio, yes. you know, which I love. Again, I miss these days. Goes over to the commentary booth and starts screaming out, The king is dead! Kill the head and the body dies. Kill the head and the body dies. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it is so creepy. It's so oh, freaky. Wow. And the hour is over and we end the program with this. Uh, but I will say really quickly, while he's going on commentary, shouting and screaming, a bunch of wrestlers come to the ring, including Barry Windham, Mike Rotunda. Uh, they were like the U.S. Express at one point. The original owners of the real American theme song, by the way. Wow. And Billy Jack Haynes comes to the ring because he was a face as well, feuding with, I believe at the time, superstar Billy Graham, who was doing like a Karate Man gimmick. Um, So you get to see all these people come in. You're like, wow, this is like a hotbed of talent. And then the program's over. They pull uh, Blackjack Mulligan out of the ring, like carding mount, like almost like a stretcher. And what's left to happen, we're, well, you have to tune in next week. And that is the finale of Dusty Rhodes versus Purple Haze. Your thoughts, Paul? I was just in Portland talking about Billy Jack Haynes. So Perfect, that's yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, he's great. Uh, you're representing all of the non-neckbeard people in uh, Portland, That's right? right. Yeah, that's right. I was there for the, the non-underground metalheads. The people who wanted to hear real music, like Tom Jones. Like Tom Jones. Um, <laughs> that's right. A real musician. A real man. Uh, I I thought this match was fun. It was, uh, you know, it's less than eight minutes. Yeah, it's super short. Um, it's pretty short. Uh, I think it's interesting to see uh, Blackjack Mulligan as a face. Yeah. On the outside. First time I ever saw that. A lot of people tend to. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And one thing as we were just now going over this that I was wondering about, because I do remember the there's a spot early on as Dusty starts fighting up. Now, mind you, you can watch this match and Dusty's already over like a million bucks, um, but he literally doesn't have to do anything. No. He's just so over. I mean, he gets there's a point he gets uh, Purple Haze in kind of like a uh, arm stretch surfboard gimmick from behind and. He's barely cranking it, and the place is just going crazy. But then there's a spot like soon after, I think, when he does the the rolling fists into the elbow. Yeah, and he didn't he didn't do the the little crotch pump thing. No. And I was wondering if this was before all, any of that. Like I'm wondering where Dusty developed the little uh, pelvic thrust pump, then the elbow, right? Because it's usually like. Uh, and then bam <laughs> hits him with the elbow right but he does yeah. that little pelvic pump thing and, and I, I have to say that i missed it uh Me too. It, it, you know yeah um but i couldn't tell at the beginning so when dusty colors early on off of a strike because you know mind you this matches from 1984 what 84 holy smokes so the the footage is a little grainy yes and as Purple Haze is breaking the chair up on the ring post. It made sense because it's like, you know, get a, a shard or a, um, 
a stake or something out of the the the, the breakings of the chair. Right. And that's what I actually that's what I thought when he started doing the stabbing in the ring. I thought he had like either a piece of the chair and certainly when he nailed Dusty and then Dusty, you know, starts getting color, I thought um maybe he had a piece of the chair, but it's a little hard to tell with the grainy the graininess. So for the sake of pro wrestling, I'd like to think, no, he opened him up with a spear hand strike with his fingers. Right. Um, <laughs> in some martial arts, it's called a bilgy. Ooh. Uh, a bilgy. That's right. You make a little spear with your hand and you can poke, poke someone's eye out actually with it. It's pretty effective. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just I, I love seeing Dusty anytime his selling his 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 fighting back. It's it's completely of its own. I mean, there are endless imitators, as we're going to see in the next match. Um, <laughs> but you mean nobody homages, <laughs> <laughs> nods. Yes. Um, yeah, this is just a fun match. It was a fun match. Uh, I believe both of our matches end uh, in similar fashion, but yours much much more traumatic. And what a way to end a, an episode. Not knowing if Blackjack Mulligan's uh, okay or not. If he's going to he, die. He must be at the hospital by now. He might, yeah, is he, or I'm going to check the newspaper over the next week just to make sure there might be some news that you know, he, I want to see how bad this was, right? Because they just went off the air and right. we need some updates on the condition of Blackjack Mulligan. So. And I had never seen anything like this. I, you know, obviously I saw the, the match where the Road Warriors take their spike and they gouge it into Dusty's eye. Um, you know, Magnum <laughs> TA and uh, uh, Tully Blanchard and their I Quit match, of course, with that that spike. But for someone to right. stab someone and and you know to paint a picture of Kevin Sullivan, he's he's really creepy looking. Uh, he's an amazing talker and he looks legit like a Satan worshiper. So yeah, you know, I think in '84, I don't think anyone else had really seen anything like this. It's a it's a crazy angle. What's the, what was, is it Lefebvre? Something Lefebvre. I thought he had kind of a cup of coffee in the 80s as like this personality of Satan. And I feel that Kevin Sullivan actually resembles him physically more. I'm embarrassed. Sorry, all you uh, Satanists out there. I'm, <laughs> Apologies I'm, uh, to everyone who's drawing yeah. the pentagram with chalk and it just went off to the side. Damn it! Paul yeah, doesn't know. It sounds so Lef- Lefebvre. What if, I I'm can't sure remember right. his name. Lefebvre. Hey, yeah, it's a wrestling show, so, not a Satan show. That's right. That's <laughs> right. That's to go to those other guys for this stuff. Um, yeah, I just I, I liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought, you know, it's nothing crazy, but the people are into it, obviously, because of Dusty and and the numbers game. And um, yeah, just just fun overall. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it spooky, no. uh, but ominous in in the atmosphere and presentation that they're bringing to the table. Um, and after having watched it, I like to think that my match is scarier. I, I, well, I'm not going to disagree with you. Uh, I am. I do want to point out that because Molokai is wearing a hockey mask, I will say that mine has a nod to Friday the 13th. Uh, does Paul's? Well, we're going to find out in just a minute as well. But uh, yeah, mine is more of a traumatic 
because I do have yes. many moments. I uh, go, if you go back in the archives of podcasting after dark or the other show I'm on, um, I did a top five traumatic moments with uh, Dustin on that show, <laughs> and way back when, nice. and we talked about the trauma that I endured. Uh, and this probably would have caused me trauma if I saw it back in 84, being an eight-year-old kid and like, oh my gosh, should Eddie really kill BJ? Um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we're going to get into Paul's in just a minute, but mine, I think, borders more on the reality of a possible thing that could happen in a ring versus Paul's, which would just most likely take part in your nightmares. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But before we get, <laughs> before we get to... Uh, Paul's match. So the typically on the show, we we run down two or three fun facts from the year the match came out. Well, this time it's different because it's Halloween. We went into the database of uh, horror films that came out in the years, respectively, of the matches we're covering. My year was 84. A big year for horror, you'd think. Not big year for movies, but for horror? Well, was there a Friday the 13th movie that came out that year? Yes. Was there another franchise movie that started that year? Yes. Will I be talking about those movies? Maybe. Uh, but I chose three movies that I personally love from 1984. The first, of course, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, have to name that one. In my opinion, it's the best one of the series. Uh, I laid the groundwork for much more to come and <laughs> lays the groundwork for an upcoming match, potentially. Um the second one from that year that I love uh, was The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. I actually like that one mm. a lot. It's It has a lot wow. of flashbacks from Wes Craven had two movies that came out that year. Actually, three movies that came out that year, which is crazy. Um, and Hills Have Eyes Part 2, is it's it's fun. I think it's a fun sequel. Uh, and it's got motorbikes and Michael Berryman and what more would you want? I don't think anything else. Was that also Wes Craven or was that his son? Wes Craven directed Hills of Eyes Part 2 as well. Uh, okay. And then he had, obviously, Nightmare on Elm Street. What were the other two movies? What were the other two movies you were talking Invitation about? Invitation to Hell. That was another one he did. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, he did Invitation really? to Hell. Really? So he had three movies that came out in 1984. Wow. Uh, and then, of course, they, you know, Gremlins came out that year, but that's not on my list. The third one is Silent Night, Deadly Night. Which yeah. I think holds up to this day. It is it is one of the most depraved right. films. I broke it down on podcasting after dark with Corey. Um, the warm side of the door is a great song. If you don't get guys don't know that song, <laughs> Google it, as Dustin likes to say. Oh well, it's funny because one of my movie picks, as you'll hear later, is also uh, holiday inspired. Oh, perfect. There you go. Um, but yeah, those are my three picks from 1984 with my creepy mouth. Love it. <laughs> nice. I, I will say really quickly uh, before we get into your match. You know, when when Paul and I pick these matches, I'm like, okay, his was better than mine. Yeah, his was better than mine. No. Once again, I'm like, this guy, Paul will, Paul really takes his time cultivating a pick. This pick he's about to reveal, <laughs> the, this load he's about to drop on, this boot he's about to load up <laughs> is so full <laughs> of uh juice, I guess. <laughs> wow, I'm just digging myself That's in a great. hole. After he had loaded the boot... Get rid of the load. It, it's fantastic. So, Paul, without further ado, would you please um, 
Load that boot. I'm loading it. Thunderfoot is proud. <laughs> um, as everybody who's been wonderful enough to listen to us faithfully knows, um, I am partially biased towards Memphis wrestling. Uh, I spent some time going to school in Memphis, and I I love Elvis, and I love uh, Jerry Lawler and Andy Kaufman, and I I just love Memphis wrestling. I love Jimmy Hart. Do you like walking in Memphis? Lance Russell. I do like walking in Memphis and I love Memphis barbecue. I love Corky's and uh, Beale Street and everything. So it's just, I love Memphis wrestling. I love Portland wrestling as well, AW. I love all territory wrestling, let's be honest. But Memphis wrestling in particular, just uh, an absolute treasure trove. Yes. Um, Agreed. That has influenced and inspired wrestling and continues to do so to this day. Um, and Zach's right. It, it we were going to record this actually a week ago, and I was not prepared yet because I I just couldn't accept anything less than the best for our listeners. So, needless to say, I kept digging. I was like, I know, okay, I know there's a leather face that did a lot in like Japan, super leather, and I know there's been like a Jason the Terrible, and I'm like, but there's got to be something more ridiculous than that. I looked for leprechauns. <laughs> Uh, I looked for cr- clowns. I looked for crappy wrestling masks that guys thought were cool, that were actually creepy. And, you know, and I, I just I kept hitting a dead end. And then it was just like, what am I doing? I need, just need to go back to the roots, go back to Memphis wrestling. Right. And the funny thing is, is that this match takes place in 1989. I was going to say in August, somewhere in August, 1989. And the match is... The Nature Boy, I'll call him the Nature Man because he looks older. Uh, the Nature Boy, well, Nature Man, Buddy Landell, who was a territory mainstay with his heel manager, Ronnie P. Gossett. Yes. Who I've actually met before and done shows before. He was a promoter, I want to say, on the Carolinas circuit and Virginia, somewhere out there in that area. Um I can't say I have any fond memories of Ronnie Gossett because he was quite the carny and cheapskate. Um, but he's the big hill manager to the nature boy, Buddy Landell. And Ronnie P. Gossett is in a heated feud with Jerry the King Lawler, the king of Memphis. And so he signed his client, Buddy Landell, up for this match. Buddy Landell has no idea who he's wrestling but the fans sure do because he's super over. He's a super baby face. Ignore the fact that he used to molest and murder children <laughs> back in Springwood. This is pretty, but we're not saying the last name. And he would go on to also be known as Nightmare Freddy. Interesting expiration of time match coming up right here. It's going to be featuring none other than. Freddy, Freddy, a lot of people have tried to take Freddy's mask off of him, and this time, Freddy's mask will be at stake. And coming into the area right now is Freddy's opponent in this match, led by Ronnie P. Gossett. There is Buddy Landell stepping up, the nature boy. Here's Freddy, though. That is the nature boy, Buddy Landell, your next heavyweight champion. And don't forget it, Dave Brown. Yes, we have what appears to be a uh, Mexican flea market version of Freddy Krueger uh, out in the ring. 
versus the Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Once Buddy Landell sees that he is wrestling Freddy, and mind you, this is Freddy. This is black pants. This is a a weird red and black sweater. Uh, this is obviously the first toy release of the glove also being worn and you have freddy with ears no fedora i'm sorry but uh, i think we're already testing the the limits uh of our uh in copyright infringement right. and legalities <laughs> and so and so and so and so but this is pro wrestling in the late 80s and 89 in memphis nobody gives a shit um <laughs> so they go with it and Freddy would be portrayed by Tommy Gilbert. And I believe it was Eddie Gilbert that would go on to be Jason, if I'm not mistaken, in Memphis for a short bit. Uh, and I think Doug Gilbert also did it, too. Yeah. I think, yeah. OK, I'm sorry. I think it was Doug Gilbert that was Jason. And maybe it was Eddie Gilbert that might have been one of the leather faces later. Uh, more on that some other time. <laughs> Needless to say, Freddy is mega over in Memphis. I mean, we're getting a Freddy chant before the match even starts, but it's funny. So we, we see Buddy Landell. Amazing. He comes out. Once he sees that he's wrestling Freddy, who, mind you, uh, the referee, uh, the lovely, uh, is it Jim Calhoun, I believe, is the referee. We have Dave Brown on commentary, uh, not your typical Lance Russell-type commentary. He was a meteorologist. Yeah, was he, Dave Brown? <laughs> He was a meteorologist for the local news station there. Well, he commentates uh, very similar (laughs) as if he was doing his meteorology. Um, Buddy Landell sees that he's wrestling Freddie and gets over to the announcer's table and starts complaining about him not feeling well. You know, it's funny. Can we actually postpone this? I'm actually not feeling too well. I don't feel really good. I don't feel good. We got to postpone the community. No, the contract signed. You're going in there now, buddy. Like you're going in there now. You got to wrestle, you know? So he gets scared uh, as we all do. Now, Freddie does some really interesting maneuvering. He does kind of like this weird crouch, crouching, uh, confused dog turn with the heads and his hands. Uh, Jim Calhoun takes the glove off of Freddie. So he doesn't wrestle with the glove on. One thing that I thought was pretty neat was the detail on the hands, because if it, instead of it just being, you know, oh, Freddie, this weird Freddie uh, variation with red and black sweater and obviously a Freddie mask. And that's the stipulation, mind you, of the match that Dave Brown points out that yes. uh, the, they're trying to beat him so they can take the mask off of Freddie. Right. They want to know who it is. Um, they all believe it's Freddy, but they also believe it's Freddy with a mask and that's what's on the line, right? Yes. So it's a little bizarre. We got to see what's under that child killer's mask. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We know you're not really burned. Um, let's have some pizza and his hand, but he was his hands. His hands have a detailed paint on them as well. So he made up his hands as well. And I thought that was actually a pretty neat thing. Um, because there's nothing worse than a miscolored mask and hands. Right. Uh, the match is about 11 minutes long. It's like an 11 minute segment. They don't actually, there's no action until about the two and a half minute mark. And they don't right. actually touch each other and lock up until just under four minutes. Yes, you do see Freddie do a color and elbow lock up amongst other moves. Um, <laughs> glorious. He's not bad at selling. 
He's super over. Uh, Buddy Landell with just like the basic good heat on him. Um, and if you're wondering what Freddy's finisher is, and if you think it's the claw, you are correct. He ends up at some point getting in there. Oh, actually, Lawler comes out midway through the match right. and sits ringside uh, just to make sure that, you know, Ronnie Gossett doesn't get his his uh, his grubby fingers involved um, because he does. We get towards the finish. Uh, Freddie's kicked out of clotheslines and, and, and other offensive maneuvers from the nature one uh, <laughs> and sends Buddy Lando off for a flying claw and tackles him with the claw to the face. It's just a regular hand. He's not wearing the toy glove. Um, in which case he gets the claw, the, the hand on Buddy Landell drawing Ronnie Gossett into the match to interfere. This draws Lawler into the match. We get a DQ finish. So both of our matches on this episode of territory marks uh, end in DQ schmazes. And Freddie wades in there after him this time. Freddie feels him across the ring. Fires him into the rope. Goes for the claw. Gossett rolls into the ring, and that's going to be a disqualification. Lawler gets in there and gets Gossett. All about it comes around. But Freddie is super over. This wasn't the yeah. only match. He appeared in the territory for a little while. Uh, it's a little bizarre because it's, you know, five years after the character had actually debuted. Um, right. But you would see you would see these characters go on and, and reprised in Japan and in various promotions. Wing, W-I-N-G being one of the main ones. Mm -hmm. That was where Super Leather was super over. Um, and it's just Leatherface and uh, running through the audience with a, a chainless chainsaw. <laughs> scaring people <laughs> you know uh but friday was great i mean uh it, it, it's really over he doesn't do a whole he doesn't really do much um but he, he if you're gonna watch this match and get anything out of it um the body language that freddie uses yeah. because it's almost as though he uses body language and in, in, as an intimidation tactic and it works. And Buddy Landell plays the part well, uh, being afraid. He, at one point, he gets Jim Calhoun in, in between them because he's not sure what he's dealing with and he's spooked out. And so I just, I, I yeah, I, I love it. If you have not seen Freddy, um, you might want to look up Nightmare Freddy so that you won't get a whole bunch of uh, actual Freddy stuff. But Nightmare Freddy, Memphis, and uh, I'll just say you're welcome. <laughs> Because there's actually a there's actually a Memphis Nightmare Freddy music video floating around there too, uh, which is wonderful. Um, but it's it's good, it's good. And I will say, uh, as a last ending note on this, that yeah, okay, it's silly. However, when you watch this match, because it's a mask, there's no uh, facial expressions, there's no movement, there's no there's nothing, right? So it's it's a pretty blank. Freddy mask. If I was walking down the street at night and saw somebody dressed in this exact outfit, um, glove or not, I'd be a little uneasy. Right. I'd be a little uneasy. And he starts doing those weird kind of like uh, monkey squat. Yeah. Kind of moves towards me. I'm definitely uh, heading in the other direction as fast as I can. It's it's pretty creepy. 
Um, so again, yeah. Uh, did you have any thoughts on, on Frederick? I mean, I have a couple for sure. Uh, first of all, so is this the CWA? This is this Continental Wrestling Association that that was a part of Memphis. Yeah, it's right? not. It's not actually. Yeah, it's not actually Memphis uh, wrestling, but it is kind of like a side branch, I believe. I'm I'm actually not sure. I'm pulling all this out of my ass. Uh, behind Dave Brown on commentary, there's like the, a, a a spray painted logo uh, of the of the company with. Uh, a neon spray painted logo to make it look like it's a neon light, but it's all spray painted. I'm, I was impressed. It's like, Oh, this is impressive. We were on the, we were on the cusp of the nineties. Yeah, we, okay. we were, yeah. which is very interesting because the ref is dressed like he's from the seventies with his outfit <laughs> and buddy Landell, you know, was it, it was, he was in decent shape. He was overweight at this point, but uh, definitely was starting to look like he was, not taking good care of himself. Um, right. No knee pads doesn't help either. No. It's a weird look. No, it is a weird look for him. But man, he was a great talker. Uh, I believe at like the three minute 40 mark, I think he drops an F bomb. The nature boy. Like he yells out to the oh, crowd. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Um, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you might, you guys have to might. Go back and listen. Uh, but Freddy moves around like a monkey, and he moves around like eighty-four Freddy when 80, when Freddy is chasing, um, you know, his victims in the alleyway. In the alleyway, yeah. Tina, That's, when he's coming after Tina. That's so true. Yeah. Minus the long arms, but and and mind you, in Nightmare on Elm Street, they used a smaller actor. Yes, in that part for that scene, yeah, because she turns and runs, and then she runs right into Robert England's Freddy. Right, right. So that was part of the effect there. But yeah, he's a smaller, crouchier. Similar to the monkeys in Wizard of Oz. Absolutely. Yeah, there were definitely shades of the monkeys, which are the best part of the Wizard of Oz, in my opinion, too, is the flying monkeys. Right. Um, I, I love this match. It, it is not your typical wrestling match. And I think Buddy is the perfect person to have in the ring against him because Buddy's an underrated wrestler. I don't think people appreciate uh, how good he actually was. Um, I agree. And... The the schmoz fest at the end where Jason comes out as a face. Yes, <laughs> I was hoping you'd point amazing. That out. Uh, you know, Lawler come when Lawler comes out. The first thing I noticed was how glorious his mullet is because it's that thick. You know, like if I grew my hair out as a mullet, it would be like that. It would be like this heavy, thick mullet. Um, and the heels versus like the 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 faces are actually more menacing than the heels are i think at this point uh <laughs> and the yeah the crowd is chanting freddy so y'all have to remember that in 89 freddy was at the peak of his popularity i would say because there was what three well, or four let sequels me correct you there nightmare on Elm street 5 came out in 1989 in okay and that is that is considered the black eye of the franchise that's considered like nobody likes part five. i love part five i know you do you. it's not one of the films that i picked but as a skateboarder i loved part five <laughs> i right. loved mark 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 gray was my favorite character next to rick johnson from part <laughs> four mark gray with the skating and the comic books i was a skater and i was in comics i was i loved comics in 89 so i loved nightmare on Elm street five however the makeup on Nightmare on Elm Street 5 is the one that's uh, trashed the most, yeah, along with right. Freddy's Dead, as being just like really lame or not as good. And so. Uh, so maybe at this point, Freddy had jumped the shark, probably. 
Oh, he was already MTV Freddy at this point. Yeah, yeah. Right? So well, that yeah. might explain a bit why he was so over. I don't know. True, because I, I will tell you, uh, and I don't have it with me, but I may have to do it for an unboxing video again. We, I have these like little mad ball water squirters. It's Freddy and Jason, yes. and they have a victim that comes with them. And with the slash on the face, the I had those. Yeah, I still have them in like mint condition. Oh wow! Um, we'll do a oh, we'll do a little gosh. unboxing thing. Maybe I'll reveal it for, uh, you know, uh, maybe this this Halloween when we do our trivia show the next day. I'll actually, yeah. For everyone listening, oh, that's right. Uh, Timeline-wise, th- this dropped on a Sunday. Uh, if you're listening to it on Sunday, Monday night we are doing a live trivia show. Paul is running it. Uh, Dustin and Corey from Podcasting <laughs> After Dark and myself will be having a three-way versus each other um, for the trivia takedown and Halloween version. But anyways, um, that's right. Yeah, so I love this match. It was bonkers. I didn't even know that Freddy Krueger was a gimmick at one point in the ring, so it blew me away because Paul's <laughs> messaging me. He's like, we got to have Freddy. We got to have Freddy. I'm like, Freddy? Fre- Freddy who? Freddy who? Oh, like literally Freddy Krueger. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm in. Done. <laughs> you can't say Krueger. <laughs> oh, sorry. Freddy. Uh, Nightmare Freddy. Ha, ha, ha. And it's funny. There's a promo uh, you'll see with Lawler. Uh, there's other matches. Lawler and uh, yes. uh, Freddie wrestle against uh, the detonator, devastator, devastation, the devastation, the devastation. And yeah, he wrestles against the devastation. And uh, I'm blanking right now. But there's a promo beforehand, and Freddie says uh, one, two. I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come get you. Or he kind of changes the Freddy's coming. For, he doesn't say Freddy's coming for you. He's like one, two. Fred's gonna come get you or come find you. Or like he changed. It's so funny. Uh, but he does talk and he does lock up and he does take bumps and he does send you off the ropes and do, does do a flying claw. And he stays in gimmick the whole time. You know, he never leaves. Totally. Uh, he never leaves the gimmick or forgets who he is in the ring. So. Hats off to this match. It was so much fun. Everybody, the link is in the show notes. I guarantee you the majority of fans listening uh, have not seen this match, and you're going to be pleasantly surprised. (laughs) I'm glad we took our time. Hit us with uh, three picks from 89. 1989. What a year for horror. Uh, I mean, we had Jason Takes Manhattan. We had uh, Dream Child. Uh, we had so many, but unfortunately, one of the picks that I selected for a film that came out in 1989 is shrouded in uh, horrible events that took place uh, because of the director um, oh. being a what would soon then become a convicted uh, child molester. Uh, but this movie is called Clown House, and it's wow. directed by Victor Salva who would go on to not only be a convicted pedophile, uh, but he created the Jeepers Creepers franchise. After Clown House, uh, he went on to be hired by Disney to direct Powder. A very good movie. Yeah, Lance Henriksen. Jeff Goldblum. uh, Jeff Goldblum, yeah. Mary Steenburgen, I think. But the reason I love Clown House is because it was my introduction uh, to my favorite actor, uh, still to this day, Sam Rockwell, who's 18 years old. Yes. And this is his film debut. 
and right. it's these three brothers are set to watch the the house while the parents are away uh the youngest brother is deathly afraid of clowns uh sam rockwell plays the older brother randy who uh takes them all to a carnival he loves to terrorize his young brother uh la da there's three escaped psychos from a nearby uh, asylum who escape the asylum and kill three clowns at the carnival put on their makeup and then follow the boys home and the rest of the movie takes place of the three boys trapped inside their house which the house that clown house takes place in i believe is owned by francis ford coppola who is one of the producers on clown house yes and who also take it for what you will came to the defense of Victor Salva and was instrumental in blackballing the lead of this film, uh, Nathan Forrest Winters, who has since gone on to uh, protest and lead the charge against um, Victor Salva and a lot of other, uh, just the these types of horrific things that go on or did go on. Uh, especially at the time before social media and cameras. This is everything. way before Me Too. This is way before. Yeah, uh, this is. Yeah, if you if you're not familiar with Clown House, look it up. But I do warn you, there is there's there's some. It's 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 disturbing. It's disturbing. What well, what took place after? Yes, or behind the scenes. I'm sorry. It's a fun movie, and Sam Rockwell. You see the greatness right off the bat, and you're like, this guy. That's what I said. I was like, this guy's gonna be somebody. I feel. Did you see him in Happy Hell Night? Did you ever see Happy Hell Night from 1990? I liked Happy Hell Night. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't bad either. Great that villain. was good. Yep. I had no idea you were gonna choose Clown House, and when you said Clown, I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 this is a deep cut. <laughs> yeah, Clown House is 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 spectacular. Uh, I I love uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Five. Dream Child. I will actually go ahead and pick that as another one of my favorites just because it doesn't get enough uh, praise behind it. Um, unfortunately, that was a movie that went into production way too fast and they didn't even have a finished script when they were shooting this thing. Um, you could tell. In the case of my favorite, yeah, you can, in the case of uh, uh, Joe Seeley, who played Mark. Um, they shot his death without him even being there. So like he showed up to set and they were like, we, where did he shot your ending? And he's like, what? Like I'm dead. Like, he didn't, like so there's like so much shit that just was like happening on the fly. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that really, I think is one of the, the great standout points. And mind you, this is Stephen Hopkins. This is one of Stephen Hopkins first films. This is before he would go on to do predator two and a few other things. But, uh, Stephen Hopkins was a comic book artist and a huge comic book fan as well. Right. So that's why you see a lot of like really wonderful matte paintings used as backdrops uh, in, in dream child. But the, the real big standout thing in dream child, at least for me, aside from the rotoscope used during Mark's uh, fatal scene, when he gets pulled into the comic book and then he turns into the phantom prowler and like all that stuff is just so good in my opinion. Yeah. And he gets slashed. It's, cool. it's so good. But the the effects on the Dan uh, character getting turned into the um, the Giger like motorcycle yeah. guy, so he gets pulled into his motorcycle. The motorcycle attaches itself to him. They had to cut this scene down time and time and time and time again because they were going to get an X rating, and the MPAA came on them really strong. So uh, there is the unedited scene online you can see, and it's very graphic. 
uh, and it's pretty crazy. It's a it's a nice little bit of body horror for you, Freddy fans. It was featured in uh, Fangoria that year. I remember when Fangoria. Yes. And, and Fangoria oh, that's right. Some really cool pictures, and then end up not being in the movie, and you're like, wait, what? I hate it when they did that. We had the cardboard stand-up. It was big of Freddy with the baby carriage. Oh, God. We got it from the video store, Ooh. Home Video Plus Music. That face. Shout out. He's got that yeah. face. He's so, like, or whatever, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, coochie, coochie. <laughs> but my next, it, it's a tie. So I actually squeezed in a fourth film, but it's a tie. Um, I'll say it real quick, but uh, Deep Star Six. Oh, yeah. It's not so much a Halloween type horror movie, but it's an underwater uh sea creature movie and they're trapped underneath um you have uh and the reason you may not know deep star six is because there was another movie that came out uh the same year called leviathan which uh was very very similar in premise um bigger but budget, there's a great budget. if you're yeah very much bigger budget but deep star six uh there's a great miguel ferrer uh, rest in peace. He has one of the most iconic death scenes sure in does. this movie, and it's it's awesome. Uh, but I would say Tide was my other favorite from '89. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with the Charles Band classic, Puppet Master. Wow. Yes, Puppet Master came out in '89. This is the franchise that built Full Moon uh, after Charles Band had to sell off uh, all his properties from Empire. And kind of lost all of that in a uh, credit Leonardis deal gone bad of some sort, I believe. Um, he then formed Full Moon, and uh, Puppet Master is Full Moon. Full Moon yes. is Puppet Master. Yes. So no doubt about that. Yeah, this is uh, that's that's kind of what I'm going with. But Deep Star Six is it's it's a good one to to revisit. I really recommend it. Uh, simply for Nia Peebles. But Nia Peebles, yes. This is post-North Shore. All you North Shore perverts. She's showering, too. I think. She's showering with Matt the, McCoy maybe... at one point, who I don't Yes, want, yeah. Matt McCoy. From, That's right. Took over yes. the Police Academy franchise. And uh, Greg Evigan from I... um, My Two Dads with uh, Paul Reiser. Yes. And I think Ernie Hudson was in. He was in Leviathan. Leviathan. He's in Leviathan. That's right. And that had uh, Hector Elizondo in that with Peter Weller and uh, Peter Weller. Yes. Saw both of those in the theater. And, uh, oh, it was good. Good stuff. 89 yeah, it, is a it, really good it. year for for movies in general. And I agree with you. Horror for sure. I was kind of surprised. 84 is not as strong of a year for horror films. I mean, really? I mentioned those few. Uh, but I'm sure a lot of people out there say Hills of Ice 2 is not great, but Toxic Avenger came out that year too. Gremlins, obviously, but, oh, wow. but like as far as a, I mean, every movie you listed. Oh, I lied. I'm sorry. I'm squeezing in a fifth. <laughs> go ahead. I'm squeezing go ahead. in a you fifth You always now. squeeze I'm sorry, in sorry, because, because, <laughs> because I said I had a, I was trying to remember it, but it's a Christmas inspired horror film shot in Colorado Springs, 1989, starring one of our Favorite, favorite outdoorsman. We're talking about a real nature man, okay? Someone who needs no introduction. If you're familiar with Grizzly Adams, the one, the the only, the great Dan Haggerty stars in one of the most absurd horror Christmas movies you'll ever see called Elves. 
Are you have you seen elves? I have, and you talked about it on a <laughs> Tales from the Video Store that we did um, one of our first times earlier this year when we talked about Bloodsport when we met for the first time. And uh, that's right. <laughs> and you joined us for Tales from the Video Store exclusively on Patreon, and we talked about elves. You love to get elves. Elves was a I don't know how what the context was, but he definitely brought up elves. And yeah, it is batshit crazy. Check out Elves. It's a holiday classic. Yeah. If you like Nazis, incest, and shitty rod puppetry with one elf that looks nothing like what's on the cover of the video box, uh, check out Elves. And Dan Haggerty, I mean, he's so endearing. He's still loving. He has the doughy eyes. He has a very similar baby face disposition to himself as a young Hulk Hogan. Uh, yeah, I like that for sure. For sure. He really does. He really does. I love Dan Haggerty. Before we wrap up. Do you have a favorite Freddy? Do you have a favorite Freddy movie? Yeah. We, before we. The, the Dream Warriors. That's my favorite. Oh, you're a doc. Okay, Darkin. I'm I'm a dream I'm a dream master guy. Dream master, that's your fave. That's my fave. Yeah. It's all about Freddy. It's all about satanic panic. A little bit of housekeeping notes. Uh, next month is November, so obviously maybe we'll do a, a a theme of like matches we are thankful for from the territories. Matches that without this match, uh, maybe we might not be a wrestling fan. Um, that could be a possibility. And then going into December, a twenty four is releasing the. Von Erich film. Um, so maybe we're going to do a tribute to the Von Erichs yet again. Uh, but I've already seen it. You have? No way. Didn't you, didn't you see the trailer? I saw the trailer. Yeah. Yeah, they showed everything. You, you saw them? Yeah, I know. They did show everything. They literally, <laughs> yeah, if you guys haven't seen the trailer to the, 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 the new Von Erich film, um, very well done, by the way. And I love that the fact that they dropped Tom Sawyer in there. You got to. And hopefully they'll have Stranglehold yeah, in there yeah. too, but we'll get to that later. Uh, Paul. I am not creeped out. This was more of a treat than a trick. This it very episode. much was a treat. That's right. Fun size candy in our pumpkin buckets. <laughs> no heath, no heath, no heath bars. No, no. Uh, go out and get your bottle caps. Uh, go out, get your uh, favorite Reese's Pieces, buttercups, whatever, and uh, enjoy yourself this Halloween. No, no razor blades and apples. Yeah. Yeah, and be careful. No razor blades, no uh, no uh, cyanide in your pixie sticks, you know, all that stuff. Just be well, be merry, take advantage of the atmosphere. And I'll just touch on one last thing. Nightmare no- or Halloween 4 has one of the greatest atmospheric openings for any movie related to Halloween ever made. I'll just say that right now. Halloween 4 is possibly the best entry in terms of a michael myers in my opinion but the opening to halloween four you can just you can just smell the the season you can just feel the season uh the of just the the opening alone the whole film is great but the opening alone is such a wonderful i i just i love the halloween atmosphere i love the halloween season so if anything enjoy that this year it's not about who has the cooler costume it's about being safe uh, being smart and just and enjoying um, your predestination into Satanism. <laughs> that's right. You are a part of my monster squad. That's for sure. So uh, 
Don't get caught up with the Lost Boys. Go enjoy some nightmares in your dreams. <laughs> Actually, don't go to the Lost Boys and don't go to the nightmares. Go to the Night Boys. Coming soon. Night Boys. Night Boys. Coming soon. <laughs> All right, everybody. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, trick or treat. Thanks again for listening to Territory Marks. If you like what you hear, then consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. While you're at it, head on over to our Patreon, too. The link is in our show notes. And if you want more 80s nostalgia, go check out my tag partner, Zach, and our Terry Bam Bam of Ballyhoo, Dustin, over at $2LateFee.com, where the faces always win, even in the territories. Listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.